0: This is The War and Waste Paradox, Chapter 14, by Leonard Burtain, read by Leonard Burtain. I got to work early the next morning because I wanted to see what books were available from Dr. Elby. Dr. Elby was stacking cartons of books and videotapes along the front wall of the classroom. Phil was wheeling in another pantrop full. Good morning, I said. Dr. Elby replied, good morning. Say anything that might interest you? I told him I was interested in Smed, and he handed me a book by a Japanese guy. I signed the book out and walked over to my chair. I started comparing notes with the other people in my work area. We were all enthusiastic about what was going on. We were finding wastes in places we'd never even considered. Some of our ideas were starting to get implemented, and that was exciting. Kelly, one of the machinists, had an idea to hang our working drawings above the workbench. We calculated it would save at least $30,000 a year in rework because the drawings wouldn't get oil on them, like they did when we put them on the oily benches. At least two bad runs a month were attributable to misread drawings that had dimension labels smeared with oil. Each run cost about $1,250. She mounted a couple of sticks at the end of the bench and strung a wire between them. She put a half a dozen spring clips on the wire. It was just like a clothesline on our workbench. The clips hung on there and could slide back and forth. We could hang our drawings with the clips. That kept them off the bench so they didn't get dirty and we didn't have to move the drawings every time we wanted to do something on the bench. Things like that were getting put into place, simple things. But they made the work a lot easier. As Dr. Elby kept repeating, we were finding a lot of simple projects and doing it. In fact, ideas were coming in from all over the place, even the receptionist was contributing. Apparently she was quite a pistol. She was getting into the classes and had ideas for all the teams in her class and was very excited about them being implemented. She came up with a coding system for the custom orders on the new worksheet. She and Bernard worked together and put it into the computer and it was great. One of the guys walked all the way around the building so he could enter the factory through the reception area because he wanted to say good morning to her and thank her for her great ideas. I heard that Mr. Grimes had to take over for his secretary when she went to class. Mr. Grimes would never have done anything like that before. As the classes kept going, the line of distinction between workers and managers was slowly beginning to disappear. The isolation or separation between different departments was also disappearing. Have Bonnie and Roland on our team was really good. They were from sales and marketing, and we were from the shop. It made them one of us. In a strange way, I think it made us one of them. By the third day, Phil was wearing tennis shoes and t-shirts to class. One day, he wore a black t-shirt with a picture of a wild boar's head on it, In a circle around the boar's head was written, in hogs, we trust. Buck saw that shirt and loved it. He went to Phil after class and said, you, what do you write? Phil replied to Harley. Buck was jazzed. An American hog, right on. And as he walked away, he muttered, right on. We spent the class time looking at ways to reduce setup. Both Dr. L.B. and Phil were, gave lectures on ways that, that could be accomplished. The Class came up with a few new ideas of each concept that was introduced. Some of seemed kind of ridiculous, and some made good sense. Everyone was willing to listen, though, and it seemed to bring out the positive response in all around. We kept coming back to putting the programmers on the shop floor. Bernard was adamant that the programmers belonged in their office. Jim said, When I first started in manufacturing, I was straight out of college. As a plant superintendent, I thought I needed an office. After a while, I moved my office out onto the shop floor, because that was where the action was. It was exciting to be out there with all the noise and smells. Then I was really part of the creative process. creative process for me doesn't end at the drawing board. It starts when we get the drawing to the shop floor. It seemed like a little chink in Bernard's armor had been removed. Bernard had a lot of respect for Jim, because in addition to being a really good plant manager, he was also a good programmer. The most surprising reaction to the classes on SMED was from Gus. He argued a couple of times that we really had all those kinds of things in place, but you could tell from the way he was paying attention he was really interested in some of these ideas. Dr. Elby pointed out that he realized we were already using some of the ideas he presented. We shouldn't rest on our laurels, he said. What we expect is continuous improvement. After this training is done, you'll be equipped to carry on with this idea. Up till now, you've made many improvements in a haphazard manner. Some have worked out great, and some have been disasters. But after we leave, some improvements will work out great, and some will still be failures. The difference is that after a disaster, you'll be able to pick yourself up and know what you need to do to get back on track and try again. When you can do that, Work becomes really exciting. You'll never know what will happen next. On any given day, you can make a quantum leap in productivity. Before I let you go, I would like to review a tool that I've already mentioned, but I want you to think about it in your analysis. The tool is called the 80-20 rule, or reversed as some call it, the 20-80 rule, or the Pareto Principle, and here's how it works. By the way, you'll hear people refer to this rule by both names, the 80-20 or the 20-80 rule. So don't be surprised when you hear it used both ways. I bring the 80-20 rule up here because it relates to the issues you're trying to solve. It is the big brother of the 567 rule. Consider this rule. Dr. Elby projected a graph that showed a straight line going from 0 to 1 and a curved line with 80% and 20% on that curve in the 567 lower on the curve closer to the 0.05. Here's what the graph said. If we spend 20% of the effort, I can get 80% of the result or the benefit. So see here on the graph this point. And Dr. Robley pointed to the graph and he went on. If I identify a waste of $100,000 and it costs me $25,000 to buy a piece of equipment to solve the problem, Can I spend less money and get rid of any of the waste? It turns out that in almost all cases, we can get rid of 80% of the waste by spending only 20% of what it would cost to eliminate the 100%. Does that make sense? Bonnie was intrigued. You mean to tell me, Dr. LB, that if we come up with a solution, then you you would ask us to solve it by spending only 20% of the recommended costs of implementation? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely doesn't Mr. Grimes do that anyway? Doesn't he always tell you to think about spending money as if it were your own? Bonnie nodded her agreement. What we are asking you to do is think of problems as being variables in the amount of money that you spend. You can always spend lots of money, but does it get you what you want in the time that you want? Maybe you can spend less money and move the solution forward. Stop the bleeding as it if that's what is called for. It turns out that as time goes by, the problem looks different. In six months after spending only 20% of the dollars that were projected earlier, you may have a better understanding of the problem and be able to make a more informed decision. I believe that this thinking will help all of you analyze your problems differently. You may solve the problem for a few dollars by moving equipment around and changing the process without having to make big investments. That's the goal of this training. We're trying to show you that there may be any number of ways, ways to get the 80%. That is the goal of this training. We are trying to show you that there are any number of ways to get the 80% of the way that you're trying to into the solution by spending fewer dollars. And it usually turns out that to reach the last 20% is very expensive. Does everyone understand this? Buck was intrigued. You mean to tell me that if I can solve a problem by spending $20,000 to a $100,000 of waste that I could just as well spend $4,000 and eliminate 80%, $80,000 of waste? Would Mr. Grimes be for this? Dr. Alby looked at Mr. Grimes. You bet I would, he said. I'd be willing to invest 4000 to help solve a bothersome 100000 problem, especially if the $4,000 will get me to 80% of the problem. I guess I do this all the time without thinking. But you made me more aware of it. By the way, Jack, doesn't this concept apply to other areas of our business as well? That's the end of part one of chapter 14. Looking forward to your participation in part two. Thank you very much.